moment and welcome each and every one of you here to Sunset Hills. Hope you're having a wonderful start to your week on this beautiful Sunday morning. And I just want to take a moment, if you're here for the very first time and you're uh, our special guest, you're visiting with us, we uh, hope you're feeling very welcome. And uh, we'd love for you uh, to kind of start some conversation about how we can serve your family. One of the ways you can do that is by texting the word hi to our church number. And that is going to appear here on the screen. Maybe it's not. There we go, 776-1807. If you'll just text the word hi, um, it, it will just start a dialogue, and we would love to just uh, be able to kind of um, have some information again about how we can serve your family. Hey, I want to just briefly hit just a couple of quick announcements coming up. Uh, a week from today is Discover Sunset Hills. On July 23rd, it's immediately after service, and uh, we encourage you, if you uh, have not already plugged in or or have a, a, a way to move forward in our ministry, understand what that way is, we would love for you to come and just be a part of that. You'll meet all of our pastoral team and our staff and some other folks too. Um, and we'll give you some instructions there on just how you can not only be served by our church, but also that you can be a blessing and serve our church. Uh, so it's a real quick thing. We'll provide lunch and childcare also. Several things coming up. Uh, do want to let you know um, our ladies are doing a coat drive, ladies ministry. And so if you're um, hearing, maybe you have some gently um, used coats of all sizes um, or, or new coats. The Nolensville clo Clothing Closet uh, is going to be accepting that. And you can drop off those coats uh, in the foyer here by September the 24th. So a little window of time there. Several things coming up. Our ladies' retreat's coming up. Danny's going to come up and talk to us about our men's retreat while he's coming up. Ladies' retreat's October the 20th, 21st. The retreat at Center Hill Lake, $120. That includes everything. Danny, talk to us about the men's retreat coming up. Well, great news, men. Our price is a lot cheaper than the women's price. So, yes, September 22nd, 23rd. Uh, Horton Haven Christian Camp and uh, guys it is lots of fun all right it's a lot of playing uh, we have a speaker uh, Logan Pyron which uh, we can you can look online and you'll see his bio on there uh, hey Kevin is is the link up and uh, on the website okay so guys this is what I need you to do you need to go to our church website, and we have uh, a link there that you can sign up, all right? And it's $95, like I said, cheaper than the women's, and it's better. So, but we'll have uh, good fellowship, we'll have great food, we'll do, we always do a big bonfire, and if you do the canoeing, make sure you bring your bathing suit because you will fall in. All right, <laughs> thank you. All right, since we're talking about cheap retreats, student ministry fall retreat coming up, cheaper than the men's retreat, all right? Cheaper than the men's retreat, and it's better, and it's better. So I encourage you guys. That's coming up the last weekend of October. Burn the ships, that's our theme. That'll be at Cane Hollow. Hey, stand up with us, everybody, as we open in worship. Sing along. Before we do, let me just, uh, I just want to lead us just in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for today, God. We thank you that we can laugh and have a good time. Lord, we thank you that there's a lot going on around here, God, a lot of opportunities that we can plug in and serve. Lord, we can be a blessing to your body. 
Lord, this morning as we enter into this time of worship, Lord, just let it be, um, Lord, a blessing to you. Lord, you're so good to us and we're so thankful and grateful. But God, this morning, just uh, let us bring a smile to your face with this offering of praise. In your son Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's honey in the rock, water in the stone, manna on the ground, no matter where I go.
are so grateful to serve such a powerful name, Lord. There is no other name, God, that carries the power of our Savior, Jesus. Lord, we're in awe this morning, Lord, just of all your blessings and your favor, God, and, and your grace, God, and your mercy. God, we don't deserve to live the life that we live. But God, in you, Lord, in you, that we just have such a beautiful life because of the beautiful name of your son, Jesus. Lord, thank you for the hope that he provides, that we can spend eternity, God, praising your name. It's in that mighty name that we pray this morning. Amen. You may be seated today. Hold on, before you sit down, please stay standing. <laughs> I, I didn't tell Kelly this. My name's Eric. It's so good to be with you this morning. I'm one of the pastors along with Pastor Kelly. Pastor Steve, if you're looking for him, well, he's on some R&R time, and so we're just thankful that he and his wife, Lynn, are getting some rest and being able to rejuvenate to come back to just a, a fall season that we're going to be looking forward to. So um, one of the traditions as I've been just developing as a teacher is when you get a chance to get into God's Word that we stand in honor of it. And so my friend MK is going to read our text this morning. So if you have a Bible or if you want to go to your smartphone or do any of those things, we're going to be in the book of Jude, and MK is going to go ahead and give us this text today. All right. Good morning, everyone. I am Mary Kent Driscoll, also known as MK, and today I'll be reading to y'all Jude 1, 1 through 16 from the English Standard Version. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people, who preferred the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in a way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake to gain Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden wreaths at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, 
wandering stars, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied by saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and all of the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. Thank you. This is uh, the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Thank you. Thanks, okay. Now you can just take that back to Kevin. Thank you, guys. Well, I'm excited about being here this morning. Um, excited to be able to be able to teach from God's word and to have you just follow along expositorily in God's word. So again, if you have a Bible or you have your smartphone or a tablet, we're gonna be in Jude from this week and next. And so this will be a two-part series in Jude. And what MK had read can seem very foreign to many of our ears because a lot of the illustrations that I'm gonna help unpack a bit today, I'm not gonna go in, in, in elaborate detail, but I'm gonna to try to help build the case, if you will, that really the, the grand thing is, is that falsehood and false teachers have existed since the fall. And therefore, we have to constantly see that the gospel and the truth of God's word needs to be re, uh, revealed in these times, especially in our time, for the purpose of being able to transform the followers of Jesus Christ, to continue to keep us in line with God's will and his purposes, and to also to promote the mission of God throughout the world. And so, Sunset Hills, we have a task uh, at hand to be able to constantly be able to do this individually for ourselves, personally, in our walk with Christ, but also corporately in a culture that continues to uh, kind of wane and waffle in what the truth really is. And it's sometimes said that it's maybe more accentuated in our time today, modern, but I would say every generation has probably dealt with a falsehood of some kind. And oftentimes, that falsehood has to be discovered in the fact that at one point you were away from God, probably living in your own falsehood, and then God brought you into a salvation relationship with him. Now I wanna highlight this in a very extreme way. And so I found a creed, and a creed, just to help you with those, are really these creeds and confessions or historical opportunities for the summary of Orthodox Christian faith to be declared inside of groups like ours and churches from times past. And some traditions, and maybe you come from that tradition, that would be the Apostles' Creed that would be often read in community together as a group of people. Um, but there is one creed I ran across just as sort of a highlight to the kind of the craziness sometimes of, and, and the mockery of creeds. And this one's called the Sparkle Creed. Um, and I want you to see it, and I know that this kind of be probably a little bit of like, uh, and maybe a little bit of humor in the sense of like, somebody's really saying this, and there's actually people listening and reciting this. But it's out there trending on sites, but the Sparkle Creed is something that's contrary to what I want us to study, just as illustrations. So let's go ahead and just bring that up, please. I invite you to rise in body or spirit and let us confess our faith today in the words of the Sparkle Creed. I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child, who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads. 
and saw everyone as a sibling child of God. I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one white light and refracts it into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints as numerous, creative, and resilient as patches on the ace quilt, whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gaze at the stars in wonder. I believe in the calling to each of us that love is love is love, so beloved, let us love. I believe, glorious God, help my unbelief. Amen. Now, what's your feelings on that? It's interesting, isn't it? And yet I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to get in a fighting stance really with the lady per se or even that congregation of people. In fact, where would you guys think that that probably was shot? Like that, that Sparkle Creed was uh, declared in a community of people that declared it. Where, where would you think that would be in our country? California, maybe where I'm from, yeah, certainly. You would think, yeah, downtown San Francisco, 100%. But it wasn't, it wasn't. That's, that's actually a congregation in Louisville, Kentucky. And so, again, it's, and, and it shouldn't shock us really to any means because, again, we live in a world that's full of just falsehood and sin because that's what tries to reign in an unregenerated heart, right? So when a, a person's life is regenerated and brought back into the truth and the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is in your life, it's gonna change your worldview. And so apparently the thing that we could be seeing in this is not so much, again, a fighting stance, but a sympathy and really a compassion and hopefully a prayer to say, you know what, I hope that God, you get a hold of that congregation in some way to reveal who you are really, not in that kind of a creed, but in creeds and confessions that are anchored inside of our scriptures. Because there was really nothing inside of that creed that could be anchored back into sound doctrine and orthodox teaching, right? So this is what I just wanted to, to, to give you, and I really want to open up with this verse, and this verse, interestingly, is coming from the Apostle Paul, and it really helps us as we contend for our faith. This is the series titles, Contending for Our Faith, and it comes from this verse. It's pressing on towards the goal, towards the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, Philippians 3.14, and if there's not a character in the New Testament that could probably really herald this well, you could think of none other than the Apostle Paul, right? Like here's a man who was once contrary to the things of the gospel, but then by the grace of God and the mercy and the love of God, he saves him and then sets him up to be able to then proclaim this freedom message to the Gentiles specifically. And yet here he is writing back to a church at Philippi under stressful, difficult, contentious situations to continue to press in and press onto your faith. And that's what I wanna encourage you with today. Maybe you're weary of the culture. Maybe you're weary of being a person who's been kind of in the fight. And I wanna be the preacher today, this morning. I wanna be the guy that's like, if you're sitting back in the corner of the rink, that I'm putting that water on you right now and I'm whispering in your ear, hey, you get back in the fight. Put your mouthpiece back in. You keep going after the enemy, Satan and his deception and his lies. And maybe it's you who needs to be considering that falsehood that you're believing or it could be generally you're just, you're just 
bummed out by just the decline of maybe the Christian faith and message in our country or in the world at large. I hope that this series, and in particular, like what Paul has said, that this is one of those things that we continue to press forward and press into. And one of the delights of that is the fact that we're gathered in community together to be encouraged by God's word. So we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna unpack this. And the book of Jude, man, it challenges us in so many ways. Um, It's hard for us to kind of hear, talking to MK earlier, she's like, yeah, even reading this over and over again, I'm gonna need some explanation on some of the things that you just unpacked. And uh, to be honest, in all the New Testament of teaching, I've never taught the book of Jude, so it's been a delight to be able to dive into it with you. And to, to be serious, I mean, most people forget about this little letter. I mean, truly, did you know where Jude was? Some of you go, well, I remember the song that I learned in Sunday school, you know, first, second, third, John, Jude in Revelation. But what is in Jude? I don't know. I've never really read Jude. Yeah, well, a lot of people haven't. In fact, theologians and scholars would say that Jude is probably the most underutilized letter in the entirety of the New Testament. And Philemon being the next one, only 25 verses, just like this book is 25 verses deep, Philemon gets a little more airtime because it's usually coupled with the letter of Colossians. And it's a, a reconciliation letter, a very practical one. But Jude, he, not so much. And so we're gonna get a chance to dive into some of these things. And, and I hope that you'll be able to take some notes. I provided for you a sermon note sheet. And hopefully you might have gotten that. If you didn't and you wanna get that, uh, or if we have a, if we have a body of, of person that wants to go grab them again this is teaching time Uh, I'm I'm a teacher preacher and so uh, if you want to go get your your sermon notes they're right in the lobby and you can come on back but it's a good way to be able to do that and let me give you the big idea of today's sermon I'm I'm a big proponent of trying to focus in on something the big idea is contending for your faith is a daily activity it's a daily pursuit how many of you have been able to come to Christ in the past and then you find yourself kind of getting complacent and lazy in your faith. And see, there's where, the, there's where the contending part maybe misses the practicality of our Christian faith. What Paul's encouraging, what Jude is gonna encourage us in, what James and John and all the others who've built a sound doctrine from the new covenant for us is that this pursuit and contending for the faith is a daily one. It's not just a one-off on a Sunday. In fact, I remember a friend of mine, Larry Espidal, he was a keynote speaker at a youth camp when I was doing student ministries years ago. And he said that uh, if you just bump into Jesus once a week, it makes one week. In the sense of W-E-A-K, that you're a weak Christian in that regard. And that's really a conviction for some of us is like, you know, we maybe get our Jesus moment on just for the Sunday, but really Jesus moments should be every single moment of our lives as Christians. Because it's constantly trying to transform us, to renew us, and to make us into the image of what God intended us to be. And that's in the image and the name and the nature of Jesus Christ. And so we're, we're looking at this throughout this, this time. So let's go and unpack this thing. You ready? You ready to get into it? Let's go verses one and two. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who were called beloved in God the Father, kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So who is Jude? Who is Jude? Well, his name is Judas, and that's the Greek, and so it really kind of can be a Judah or Judas, 
And so people have kind of tried to piecemeal whether he was Jude or that, but I come to see it in the text. And the text, number one, says that he's a servant of Jesus Christ. So I want to put a pin in that and come back to that. But who is he a brother of? James. There's a book in the Bible in the New Testament called James. And we're pretty sure and pretty certain most of scholars and most theologians and most Christians would say that that James was the brother to Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, right? Because the Immaculate Conception is an Orthodox Christian teaching where the Holy Spirit comes to give Christ into Mary's body and she bears the Christ child, but Joseph, who was betrothed to her, had no union with her. But yet then Joseph, who would be married to Mary, has additional children who would become siblings to Jesus. Could you imagine being a sibling to Jesus Christ? You know, those of you who have multiple siblings in your household, what an amazing but also perplexing relationship that could have been with people like James. Jude was also one of those. There was particularly four brothers that we know of that Jesus had in his household. And my kids and I, we've talked about, well, where was Joseph? And this has got a little bit of a side note to this. I think for Jude and the family, I think Joseph the father was probably removed from their lives before Jesus went into public ministry. Because I think if this father who loved his family, would love his children, I think he would want to stand in Jesus' way any way possible to prevent him from doing the things that God the Father wanted him to do for you and I. Not that it wasn't a bad thing for him to do, but that would be because he didn't want to see even his son that wasn't his natural son go through the things that Jesus went through. But yet God knew that he needed to do that because he was gonna put us in a relationship that we get to contend for in our day right now. So Jude, in my opinion, is the brother and the half-brother of Jesus, but the brother to James. And the reason we can call him Jude and not Judah or something like that, it's like a guy being called Bill, but his real name is what? William. Second thing is that Jesus Christ um, is who to Jude? What's the scripture say? What is, what is he? He's a servant. Now, I don't think that to Jude, perhaps, that Jesus was always going to be his master. I mean, what set of brothers in a household would ever probably do that? I think we have an Old Testament example of that going kind of bad with a guy named Joseph. But we have Jude in the household but then later and I think it's at the resurrection in my opinion of Jesus when the full revelation of Jesus being who he is as the son of God and the son of man the following happens and the letter writing here this letter is like around 65 AD so there's about 25 to 30 years of walking and processing their life as a disciple of Jesus Christ and what becomes very interesting just in this first verse, you guys, is that those who are Christians are servants first and foremost to the master. And what we'll see is that when you get into the falsehood of teaching and the falsehood of false teachers, they don't see themselves as servants of Jesus. They see themselves as masters using the name of Jesus for selfish gain and pursuit. And then I love what really is happening here, and this is something I really kind of just props to you, Steve, Pastor Steve, if he's watching when he was doing the Three Powerful Word series, because Jude uses a lot of threes. And in verses two, he uses that you have been, what? Called, kept, 
and beloved. That you as a Christian, and I want to help you with this because you might have had a really rough week and you need to just hear this piece in the message. That God called you to a relationship with himself. Even when you've blown it this week. And he's called you and he's beloved you. He's brought you into the fold of a family relationship. You're a daughter and you're a son if you're in Christ. And then he keeps you, he secures you. This is a doctrine known as the perseverance of the saints or eternal security. That if you're genuinely Christ, then even God would close you in his righteous right hand and nothing plucks you from that. And so we're grateful for those doctrines because they give us assurance to be able to say, yes, I am gonna contend for the faith in this because I have a father who is so much bigger than those things that I experience in my life. And then he gives us just a thrust of application, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Don't you want that for your life? Don't you wanna be able to express that to others? And though in this introduction, a lot of times introductions go as it's usually grace, but mercy and grace, I think, are two sides of the same coin. That mercy of God, that undeserved grace of God, is that in his justice, in his perfect righteousness, that he looks at Jesus and what Jesus has done for you so that he can be merciful to you to be able to call you into a relationship with him. So then... We go who Jude is, but then we have to ask, well, why does he write this letter? And so look at verses three and four with me. He says, beloved, I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. So let's just stop there for a second. What's he really wanting to write about? A big theological word for you, soteriology. The study of your salvation. That's what that means, soteriology. He wants to write about this. But yet, what does he see? He sees something in the culture of his life that needs to be addressed. That's important for us to know. There are things in our culture that need to be addressed and sometimes we would have a, a desire to do one thing but yet God is saying, I need, to, I need to have you pay attention here because this is of greater significance to the others. And so Jude is saying, yes, I wanna write about this but I'm gonna appeal to you and here's the reason why, contend for your faith. That was once for all delivered to the saints. It's key. For certain people, they've crept in unnoticed and long ago were designated for the condemnation. These are ungodly people. They pervert the grace of our God into sensuality, denying our only master and our Lord, Jesus Christ. That word uh, contend in the Greek is really an interesting word. It also means to struggle and to agonize. And I would say that there's times in my Christian faith, you guys, that I probably am so laxed and comfortable and oftentimes lazy that I'm not really struggling and contending well. I'm just complacent and I'm just kind of letting my Christianity just sort of be my Christianity. As long as I'm happy and I'm getting good things, I'm okay. But the struggle and the, the complacency is that I need to be able to say, I'm not necessarily fighting anybody but I know that there's an enemy who's fighting against this message of the gospel. Paul the apostle illustrates this in Ephesians chapter six. Our fight is not against flesh and blood but against what? Principalities, darkness, this enemy that hates everything about God the Father, everything about God the Son, everything about God the Spirit. 
and wants to do anything in his power to distract, to deceive, and to destroy it. Even now as I preach, I know that there's a war that's waging and raging even above us for the hearts and the attention and the affection for us to be able to look into this text and say, where does this apply for our church? Where does this apply to me? So we need to agonize sometimes. We need to contend. And I would say, (laughs) I would say that if you're in environments that are hostile to this, you felt that. Let me take you back to my first year of college. Grossmont Community College, I'm in a humanities class. I'm an 18-year-old punk just trying to get into class, right? And I'm sitting in the back normally like I do. I just, I'm gonna chill, not be super noticed. And this humanities teacher, he is out for bear. No joke. He, I don't know what coffee he drank that day, but he outed any Christians in the room. Basically saying, if any of you in the humanities class here with me have this faith in Jesus Christ, you're so ignorant and so stupid to believe such a mythological story that's deceived so many millions of people over a couple, almost a couple thousand years. I mean, this guy was loaded. And this is the teacher, mind you, of my class, and I'm this Christian going, I'm a dead man for the next semester now. So I've experienced just in that hostility without even engaging him, the environment. Have you ever been in those environments? Where just being a Christian in that environment is hostile because you carry and represent a worldview that's contrary to theirs. And until you're saved, really saved, by the Lord Jesus Christ, that's really what's happening. That even in our own unsaved state, we're at war with this message. And so Jude is trying to press into that. And he's saying, press into this faith. This word faith is a cool word in the Greek. It's pistis. And it's what, it's a gift to you. Did you know that faith is a gift to you? Sometimes I think we think it's a commodity that we wield. That I increase my faith. No, God gives us this gift of faith to exercise. Where do I get that from? Ephesians 2.8 says, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. Yes, your faith, but a faith that I'm giving you. And this is not of your own doing so that no one can boast. So yes, as a Christian, exercise your faith. But realize the faith that you have, that you can have in Jesus right now at this moment, being involved in a community of faith right here at Sunset Hills, worshiping publicly on this beautiful Sunday morning, it's all God's gift to you. And it's such a beautiful gift for us. Well, you get into verse four, and and the importance for this verse is really where Jude, as the writer of this letter for those first century readers, he wants them to get a certain piece in, and this is the part. Certain people have crept in unnoticed. Certain people have crept in unnoticed. Second Peter chapter two, verse one says, but false prophets also arose among the people just as there were false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing them unto swift destruction. The power of creeping in is genuine. I would say the subtleties to the deception that the enemy wants to bring into a body of faith or into a people group isn't quite as overt as the sparkle creed. You would probably in your sound doctrine, I hope, go, hmm, something's off with this. There's something a little bit off and I might need to look into that. 
But what we have to notice is the creepiness that sometimes where the lights aren't turned on, where the relationships are not quite known. And I think that takes some time to discern, but I think discernment is your key. And that's where we even get great passages in John's gospel, the Apostle John in 1 John chapter four, in those first several verses, one through six, he talks about your quality as a Christian to discern the spirits, to be able to discern falsehood from truth. And so that's always in play. In fact, it's very much in play, especially you young adults in here, for you as you're taking in vast amounts of words and messages, vast amounts of media and messages, and you have to weed through and discern what's true, what's not, and that, that takes effort. That takes a contending. And I would say don't give up on that if you call yourself a Christian. You need to continue to press into that. I write to you, the apostle John says, not because you know the truth, but because, I'm sorry, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies Jesus the Christ? This is plain and simple for us. For those people that would say, no, Jesus is not the savior of people and the savior of the world. Yeah, I've heard John 3.16. I've seen it at the end zone of every football game. And yet, they would say no. Well, that shouldn't like, necessarily make us shrink back from that. That should basically put us on alert to say, well, that person needs the revelation of the truth of who Christ is. And so we're gonna get into more of how that looks. But who is the liar? The one who denies Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the one who's come to fulfill the law and to fulfill God's will. This is the Antichrist. And that's not just an Antichrist in the sense of a Antichrist for the end of days, though there is that, but Antichrist in the sense of Antichrist not being Christ-centered, that Jesus is enough for our salvation. He who denies the Father and the Son, no one denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So then what does Jude do? Well, this is where it gets a little interesting for us, you guys. He goes into like a bunch of illustrations, like a bunch. So verses five through really 16 is some stuff that I wanna work through kind of over the next few minutes rather quickly. And I would, I would really recommend you doing a couple things. Number one, I'm gonna give you some links to some things through Realm. I'm gonna show a slide at the end of my message um, or actually at the end of our Sunday gathering for you to kind of look at some things that could be helpful for you to continue to wrestle with this, this language. And then two, get to some good commentaries. And then three, really just get back into your Bible and comparisons. The book of Second Peter is a wonderful complement to the letter of Jude. In fact, scholars would say that Jude perhaps might have used some of the language out of 2 Peter's letter, which precedes it in date, to basically help build some of this argument. But it's building that argument of continuing for the faith against false teachers and even their judgment. So you see this happening in three Old Testament examples of judgment and then their sins that they commit. So let's quickly go through them. First one is in verse five, Egypt. What in the world with Egypt? Well, many of us probably know the story of the Israelites being taken out of where? 
Word is Egypt, right? And so Egypt becomes the place that God is going to deliver who? The Israelites, the people of God. And we get the story of who in that? Moses. Moses is going to be your central figure, right? So Moses now becomes the central figure to deliver the people. Well, you go into this, and Jesus here is used in the ESV. In some versions, it says, Lord. But he saves the people out of this land, and then he destroys them. What in the world is that all about? Well, in Numbers 14 and Numbers 26, they fully knew this is what Jude said. So you could go back in your Old Testament part and you can read 14 and 26 to help give you a storyline of God's deliverance. But God's judgment is what really Jude is trying to help the readers in the letter pay attention to. And so if you were to go to Numbers chapter 20 verses one through 12, and I'm gonna highlight this one verse, Moses is talking to the Israelites and the Israelites are grumbling against God because they don't have water. A worthy complaint can you imagine on all these hot summer days you don't get any water it's going to make you kind of grumbly it's going to make you unhappy and you need to have some agua well he talks to God God talks back with him he says I want you to take Aaron I want you to get your staff which is an iconic symbol of his authority and I want you to also gather the people and go to the rock we sang a song that talked about a rock and I want you to speak to the rock and out of that rock water's going to flow but what does Moses do? Moses doesn't do that. Let me tell you what he does in verse 12 of Numbers 20. And the Lord God said to Moses, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. What did Moses do? He didn't speak to the rock, he struck the rock with his staff. You're thinking, man, that's really harsh, isn't it? And he didn't do it just once, he did it twice. So he whacks the rock and he's like, doggone it, I need to swing it harder, I need to get a bigger hammer, right? We all know that, fellas. If it doesn't work with that hammer, go find a bigger one. So he hits the rock and God graciously provides water, even though God had specifically said, I need you to speak to the rock. So in that, you see the subtleties of sometimes in falsehood that it's about obedience, and falsehood and false teachers, they might want the deliverance, but they don't want to be obedient in following through with what God is asking of them. The Christian wants both. The one who's gonna contend for his faith wants to hear and know that God's gonna deliver them and save them, but then also wants to turn to God's precepts and be able to say, how are you now going to transform this sinner into a saint? What do I need to do to pay attention to that, Lord? And so Jude uses this as one of the examples. He also talks about angels. Verse six, angels in their own authority, and he takes where that's from, is in Genesis chapter six. It's an interesting passage. The sons of God, that is angels, leave their heavenly dwelling of authority, and then they try to get together with the daughters of men. And in doing so, God is not pleased both with those angels and with mankind. And what does he do by way of judgment? He limits the years of mankind to 120 years or less. Prior to that, longevity. We're talking about like, you got, you, you know, you wanna retire at 67? Huh, forget about it, it was 600 years. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's later. But now in this context, it's gonna be a judgment to that. And it's gonna be a judgment on these angels 
And what of that judgment is going to be is a judgment of what Jesus fulfills, and that is they're under lock and key. They're under lock and key. Both to be waiting for an eternal judgment that is to come, the day of judgment. And then he moves into Sodom and Gomorrah, a story that we're pretty familiar with in, in the New Testament church. He illustrates that found in Genesis 19. And it's not just Sodom and Gomorrah, mind you. I want to let you know that it's also cities around it. You know, it's funny when, when a particular person sins, you know it's not just personal, it becomes corporate. When a particular falsehood is just wanting to be populated, it's not just like they're going to do it for themselves. They want to gather as much as they can. So it's not just one city, Sodom and Gomorrah. It's the whole valley. The whole valley is going to be guilty of the judgment of God. And so really, you see, the sun had risen on the earth when Lot had come to Zor. That's one of the cities that was going to be destroyed. The Lord rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur from uh, the heavens, fire that the Lord sent out of heaven. Verse 29, so it was that that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, he remembered Abraham and he sent Lot out in the midst of them to overthrow when he overthrew these cities in which Lot had lived. The judgment of these false teachers is what Jude is trying to say is going to be imminent. And he's using biblical imagery that they understood in the first century even to their ancient ears because it was something that was being discussed. So to us in the 21st century, we're just having to look back years into seeing what that looks like. And then verses eight through 10, um, Jude's intent of the motivation of these false teachers. They look uh, intensively like they're basically using the indulgences of sexual immorality. They pursue unnatural desires. They serve as an example. And this is Romans chapter one. And if you want a, a good flyover of like, what God will do when we are left to our own devices of sensuality, you can see that played out in Romans 1. And it's played out in our culture. I was reminded while I was studying this week about this message, I'm trying to get them right, okay? Sisters of perpetual indulgence. So they are the nuns, they're the LGBTQ nuns that dress up in none attire and then they show up at sporting events and these kinds of things and the Los Angeles Dodgers had the audacity I'm a big baseball person I'm not a big Dodger fan mind you but I'm a big baseball person but they let them have just center stage as a mockery to orthodox Christian things it's a perversion and God is not going to be mocked my Bible says in Galatians 6, and I'm not trying to be hard on people. I'm just trying to out really what God is. He's just. He's not gonna be mocked, friends. Galatians 6, what we sow to the Spirit is eternal life. What we sow to our flesh is destruction. Those are his words. And the problem is that these people like this, even these false teachers of the first century, they have no fear of the Lord. They don't have a genuine fear of the Lord as the proverb wisdom sage would say. What's to know God is to have a fear of God. To know wisdom is to have a fear of the Lord. You can look at that. You can look at even more subtle disclosures of false teachings and falsehood like prosperity gospel movements. In my day when I was going through seminary, it was the two things that you kind of leave a bad taste in your mouth, we would say as seminarians on the campus. It was Copeland and Hagen. It's almost like a dip. You know, 
And there's these two guys who just literally went ham bone on trying to be these prophet teacher people on prosperity. You give more, you give more, you give more, and God's gonna bless and bless and bless. That's a charlatan's message. And that's the prosperity gospel movement that still seeds itself in many parts of our culture and our world today, especially in underdeveloped third world and developing world countries. I've been around in some places. It's the saddest thing because when you're in a state, in a status, in a position of difficulty and want and hurt, man, you want something that you think is gonna pull you out of this. And people will use then the name of Jesus as a means to be able to say, you give me a little bit, God's gonna promise to bless you. You buy this towel, he's gonna give you a thousand bucks, a hundred bucks, a million bucks. There's no promise of that. God definitely wants to bless you, but sometimes your blessing is not gonna come in monetary means. And oftentimes the blessing that I've seen in God is your security of your salvation, not having a, a, a relationship away from God, but a relationship with him. So we see these examples all throughout this, and then we gotta kinda drill down real fast because I'm running out of time false teachers in the truth of his revelation. And again, there's a triad of them. It's Cain, Balaam, and Korah. Who's Cain? Anybody? Right? First murder, right, of the, New, of the Old Testament. Cain kills who? Abel. So the intent is that some of these false teachers and stuff, they pursue murderous intent. And this is the point. Cain rushing unchecked with his anger. Falsehood rushing unchecked with its rage and provision. Uh, 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 I mean, it's a perversion. Genesis, uh, or I'm sorry, Numbers 22, chapters 22 to 24. Balaam is another example, and his greed. Falsehood has greed. Another one is Korah. Korah, I've heard, is a female name sometimes used in our culture, but it was a guy in the Old Testament. And Korah rises up against Moses, incites 250 of the leaders to be able to say, hey, we're gonna go up against Moses and his authority because we think we're gonna do it the right way and you're doing it the wrong way. They're insolent. What does God do in judgment of that? Opens up the earth, swallows them all up, and not just them, but their whole households as well. I mean, this is a serious God. When he wants to write something, he writes it. And we should have reverence and respect for that. That's what I'm trying to see as well. So it brings us to, to today, the end of our text. We're gonna stop at verse 16, where he then talks about Enoch. And it's a popular Jewish character, especially during the intertestament period of the Old and New Testaments. And it's a biblical character that's found in Genesis 5. And it says in the writings that there's a prophecy. Well, there's really not a prophecy. Not within the Old Testament, per se. You find that in the book of Enoch. So Enoch, along with the Maccabees and Edris and some of these other writings that were in the intertestinal time of Jewish tradition and thought, we call that now the Apocrypha. And in like uh, Orthodox Catholic traditions, you would have Old New Testament and Apocrypha at the end of their scriptures. Now to, to evangelical Christians, the 66 books of the Bible are the canonized scripture of authority for us. The Apocrypha becomes just literature that was written for traditions. And so it's helpful to read, but it's not authoritative in the sense of like, we're going to go ahead and stand on that as the first and primary authority of, of God's scripture. But to Jude, he was using it as a means of illustration because in First Enoch, 
chapter one, verse nine, the mention of thousands of angels coming in judgment is a reflection of what Revelation shares with us of what John the Apostle sees at the end of times where there's gonna be a, a judgment on all people and angels are gonna accompany that and the saints as well. And so this is kind of the, the, the high point of all this and I just wanted to let you know that this brings us into what do we do with all that? <laughs> you know, what do we do with all this, this imagery? How do, we, how do we contend for our faith? And I wanna give you three things really quick. Number one, I want you to cultivate. Cultivate healthy habits of Christian discipline. You wanna contend for your faith well, you need to cultivate like a good farmer. You need to plant deep the seeds of healthy Christian disciplines. And I wanna highlight one because I think this is really cool. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two, it says, we need to be surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We need to lay aside every weight which clings to us so quick quick uh, closely we need to run with endurance the race that's set before us we need to look to Jesus the founder and the finisher of our faith who for joy was set before us endured the cross despising shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God we need to see that this this cultivation is understanding our Christian doctrine well what is a what is a person who's studying counterfeits do first and foremost they have to study the genuine article, right? So if you're looking at currency all the time, you need to compare that currency against the, the genuine currency. So to cultivate your faith, wherever you are in your Christ faith journey, I would say you need to do that with God's word best. I'm gonna give you five things real quick that I was taught long ago of being able to do that. Number one is you wanna memorize the word. Do yourself a favor and try to just get into the memorization of God's word. A verse here, a chapter there, a section here. Because really that's what the Bible says in, in Psalms, right? I've hidden your word into my heart so that I may not sin against you. You need to meditate on the word. And this is a tough one for busy people. <laughs> All of us have a busyness to us. But meditation means that we're gonna take a time of devotion and stopping and thinking and listening. Interesting thing about the Christian faith versus maybe Eastern mysticism is that we're not meditating on a way of emptying our minds, we're meditating so that we would fill our minds. So that we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind as Paul would say in chapter 12 of Romans. So meditation. Reading the word, just as story. Man, I'm a guy who studies the Bible, been doing it for a while, and sometimes I miss just the storylines. A friend of mine gave me a series of books, there's five of them. There's no chapters and verses in it. It's just the whole story of God, book after book, and you can read it like it's one narrative. I would encourage you to read the Bible as a story, as a storyline. You also need to study the word. And this is what I really commend our church for. We have great life groups at nine o'clock. If you're not in one, please get in one. They study God's word together. Study God's word with others, but study God's word for yourself. A really cool application for you, I'm just giving you other helps, is the Blue Letter Bible, BLB. I have it on my phone. Super helpful for you to have so that you can also be checking people like me when I'm teaching you. Square me up. Make sure that I'm not getting in error. But there's that helps there. So there's 
the memorizing, there's the meditating, there's the reading, and then there's doing what we're doing right now, and it's just hearing God's word. Sitting in the presence of God's word being taught. And I think that's super helpful. We want to compete to win the prize of faith. I gave you Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Sometimes I think the competition of winning this prize is simply simplifying our Christian faith. In a world that's so complex at times, so busy, we need to realize that the simplicity of following Jesus is just that. Who does Jesus identify as a person of interest that needs to what we should be like when we come to follow Jesus? A child, thank you. Not, not child, childishness. You put that away. But to have childlike faith is a child that's gonna come and be at the feet of Christ all the time. You wanna compete for that. You wanna be able to be that child that's always constantly looking into the scriptures. How, are you excited? Are you genuinely excited about being a Christian today? Man, I hope so, because if you're not, you need to check whether you're really, really in the competitive spirit. I mean, athletes that compete at a high level, you know what? It's not just because they're good, it's because they're passionate. They're passionate for what they're competing in. Are you passionate for your Christian faith? Third thing is you need to combat sin. Sin has a way of just coming in and wrecking shop on so much. Personal sin, sins against you, sins that you commit against others. And I would say that a way to contend for the faith is to come clean with your sin. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We contend for the faith by combating against sin. We're gonna be coming to some worship time and we're gonna, we're gonna go a little longer today because again, I haven't preached like this in a long time so I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get some mileage but I want you to realize that it's not just about me getting mileage. I want you to be able to see that in this contending for your faith, it's an application of cultivating deeply, of combating the sin and to compete to win that prize that you've been called towards, that heavenly prize. And perhaps maybe you are in some type of sin. Maybe it's a secret sin. Sin that you've been involved with that you need to get out of. I want to challenge you this morning. Get out of it by confessing it and repenting from it. Pastors are here. There's deacons that are available that are here. We want to help you. We want to walk with you. We're not here to condemn you. We're here to walk with you and see that you walk as a disciple of Jesus, holy and separate and wanting to make much of him. Maybe this, this stage right here could be your makeshift altar during the worship set. Where you're gonna come, you're gonna say, man, I gotta get rid of this, whatever that is. But know we're here to help and know we wanna stand with you to contend against sin that wants to rob you and to steal and to lie and deceive you in the identity that you can have with Jesus Christ. Fight the good fight, Paul says, as he's at the end of his ministry. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about to which you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Son said, if we really want to listen to this letter well, we want to realize that um, 
fighting this good fight of faith isn't something that we fight alone. We do it because we have Christ as the head. That Jesus is the one who's won the overall victory. That we can trust in his authority. That we can trust in his lordship. That when he calls you into hard places to do hard things, to be a person of faith in difficult times and difficult decisions, he's going to persevere you through that. He is because he's a good God and he loves you. Called by him, beloved by him, kept by him. Thank you for listening. Let me pray with you. Lord Jesus, I just, I'm grateful for Jude's letter that we got a chance to start unpacking this morning. And the contending of our faith is not something that we want to take lightly. We don't just say, yes, I want to get in. We need to realize that it's a salvation that we need to work out with fear and with trembling as the Apostle Paul has disclosed in the New Testament. And so, Lord, encourage us not to be discouraged where we like, we have to prove this, but Lord, you call us into this because there's, there's our benefit for it, but then there's the benefit of being able to identify the truth of who you are into the culture. This culture needs a transformation. This culture needs the revival of the truth of Jesus Christ. We need to be sensitive to that. We need to be compassionate for it. And Lord, if we look into the next week's message, we need to be trying to rescue people that are going headlong into the flames of deceit and destruction. Can we be that kind of church, Lord? Can you look upon Sunset Hills and its people to be the kind of people who are cultivating the relationship of you deeply into our lives that bear fruit, that compete in such a way that is not trying to outdo each other but to compete so that we can be able to live towards the passion of following after you and then doing so by asking for forgiveness and seeing the pursuit of repentance by combating against the sin that wants to steal and kill and destroy us. Lord, I pray for that for every here in the community of faith this morning and those who are watching and listening and being with us online. As we now move into this time of worship, may this time of worshiping you in truth and in spirit be a time of confirmation and meditation and reflection and action. Thank you for this day, this day that you've made that we may rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. Sing this with us. You give life, you are love. 
Now your mercy has saved my soul. And now your freedom is all that I know. The old made new. Jesus, when I met you, what a day when you called my name. You got to be careful. You got to be careful because you were just about getting charismatic for a minute there. And I affectionately would tell my tell people, listen. I said, listen. I'm a charismatic with a seatbelt on for sure all the time with Jesus. So, hey, listen. Thank you for being here this morning, for listening to God's word, to being able to just be in community together. We would hope, we would pray that you will go throughout this week really contending with the faith that you have in Christ. If you're wondering. If you're wondering, do I have faith in Christ? Would you just come and have some conversation with us? We would love to have a conversation with you about that. Again, we have people that just love to be able to walk alongside of you, to disciple you in this relationship that is so transforming. It's eternal. It's the best and it's the only way that you can really live is in Jesus. And so we just want to be able to do that. And then I want to say, hey, be bold this week. Be bold. Don't shrink back from the conversations that might want to steal the truth about who Christ is in culture. Do it in such a way that First Peter would say that it's just with love and winsomeness. To be able to give an answer for the hope that you have within you, doing it with gentleness and with respect. You're all apologists if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, guess what? You've become an apologist. You become somebody who can contend for the faith. I just pray that this church gets to be used in that way, in a mighty way, and we get to come back in community 
and we get to share stories of how God is using us to advance his kingdom and to advance his purposes until he comes to be with us again. Amen? Amen. Amen. So good to have you here. Would you have a warm and wonderful afternoon? College and career, hang out here. Let's meet because we've got to talk about where we're going to go. All right, bless you guys. Thank you. Hi, good morning. This is Kelly. I want to take a moment to personally thank you for joining us for today's live stream. I hope today's message was encouraging and inspiring for you. You know what? We would love to hear from you. If you're here today and you made a decision for Christ, or maybe you just have a simple prayer request, we would love to know about that. You can text the word prayer to 615-776-1807. One of our pastors will be back in touch with you. Hey, if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to see you in person. You can join us for life groups at 9 a.m. or blended worship at 10 a.m. Let me say this, from your youngest family member to your family member that has the most years of life experience, we have a place for you. You know, I believe that we're living in unprecedented times. People all around us are looking for sources of hope. And you and I, we both know where that hope is found. We have a God who loves us and he wants to meet us right where we are. But you know what? He loves us too much to keep us there. So come and join us, whether online or in person. We would love to shake your hand, give you a smile, and do life with you here at Sunset Hills. Have a great week, everybody.